Good morning. Greetings, greetings, greetings. My name is Nathan Miller. I'm the family ministry pastor here at Friendship Church, and it's a joy to be with you this morning. And before we get into the sermon, can you smell the pumpkin spice in the air? The uh, school lunchbox is rattling. It is a special time of year. School year is upon us again. And so we're going to take a few moments and have a prayer, a prayer of commissioning for all of those who are part of the education season that we're now entering. So if you're a student, a teacher, a school administrator, staff, anyone whose vocation is kind of in the, the uh, education world, I'd invite you to stand. You're not going to have to do anything. We're just going to be praying over you. I'm not going to give you the mic, but we'd really invite you to stand at this point. You could be a teacher, a staff person, student, school administrator, college, elementary, high school, anyone who's entering into the, this wonderful school year. And then, uh, great, keep them coming. This is good. There's some bashful students. That's all right. The rest of you, if you could extend your hand, and I'm just going to lead us in a prayer commissioning those who this is a significant new season that we're entering, all right? So uh, you, can, you can pray in your hearts with me. Extend your hand. Let's pray. Oh, God, <clears throat> you who promise wisdom to all who ask, we pray today for school administrators that you would grant them clarity of mind, strength of will, a heart of wisdom, and the gift of your truth-bearing spirit to make the right decisions that lead to the flourishing of the teachers and the students and the staff and the well-being of the whole community. Be with every unique staff member this year whose gifts, expertise, and service make our educational system work in seen and unseen ways. And, O oh Lord, you who have called and equipped the teachers in our community, we pray for them today. Watch over them, provide for them, guide them, sustain them. May you be their sun and shield so that they might do the work that you have entrusted to them and sense your care in these uncertain times. Jesus, as the good teacher, would you help all teachers love their students well this year and be patient when things don't go according to plan. Oh, Jesus, you have promised to never leave or forsake us, so be now with every student this year as they go to school in every grade and in every setting. Bless their going and coming. Bless their learning and playing. Protect hearts from fear. Provide good friends and study partners Help students feel afresh the wonder in each subject matter, to be humble in the face of ignorance and to delight in things newly discovered, and to love the truth with all their hearts and minds so that they might be wise and compassionate citizens of the world that you so love. And finally, God, we ask a very special grace and kindness towards parents who partner and provide in ways that can drain emotions and energy. Fill up their cups with hope for another year of fresh starts and new beginnings. Meet them in their weakness with your strong and sustaining love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Give yourselves a hand, students and staff and teachers. We're excited that you're here, and we know it's going to be a good year. We're, we're hopeful for that. Uh, last week, you had Pastor Matt and Pastor Kenny here casting some good vision. 
Well, the vision tour is on the road, and it's at Pryor Lake today. So that's happening over at Pryor. We get to continue in our summer series, Epic Poetry. And the psalm for today, as you heard read, is Psalm 46. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 46 as we look at this psalm together. You're welcome to use your phone, a tablet. There's Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, the ushers would be happy to help you find one. But I really would encourage you to be looking at the text um, I can tell you what it says, but you got to see it. My voice is black and white. you got to get the color. You see it for yourself. So Psalm 46. If you noticed, uh, with a lot of the psalms, it actually has some words to describe what the psalm is about. At the very beginning, even before verse 1, it says, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a, a song. A song. This is a song. We're going to look at a song. And if it was 2,000 years ago and we were Israelites in Jerusalem, we would be singing this song. We would be making our way to the temple, and I as the priest would sing certain verses, and then you as the Israelites would chime in and sing certain verses as well. And we kind of go back and forth. And there would be girls, maidens, banging on tambourines. That's what, according to Alamoth, that's this group of women banging these tambourines. And the sons of Korah, which is like the priestly tribe, they'd be joining in with, hey, that's a good verse, and we're going to sing this. It would be this procession. We're not 2,000 years ago. We're now, and we're, we, there's songs we know. This is, so, this is a song we, we don't know. We didn't sing this one to start out this morning. And that means we're up against something. There's some cultural differences. They would have this on their playlist. We don't have this one on our playlist. And so we can sometimes, as we're reading, be like, what are you talking about? You, you, you seem to be fearing things that I don't really fear. You seem to be excited about things I'm not really excited about. And so though we're up against a strange, foreign, ancient Near Eastern, many years ago song, I want to remind us that Music is powerful, and God's wired us such that there's universal truths. Even if there's distance culturally, there's resonance because of the power of the way God's wired us. I'm not a single woman. I'm just going to let you guys all know that. And so I, I'm not a single woman, and yet when I'm listening to Taylor Swift sing a certain song, sometimes I hear a song, and I'm like, Taylor, yeah. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. How, how do you have this ability to say it that way? It's just, that's exactly what I'm feeling right now. And, and it might not be Taylor for you. It might be another artist. But have you ever heard a song where you're just like, oh, my word. That, it's as if I just, I, do they know my soul? Have, have they seen into the depths of my heart? Isn't that powerful about music? There can be a distance and yet a familiarity. And I want to just bank on the fact that there's going to be things that resonate with us, even though there's many distance uh, uh, things that culturally might be different than what we're used to. What is this psalm about? What's the climax of this psalm? And it's a very familiar psalm for some, and you may have heard it when it was being read. Do you know that verse? Be still and know that I am God, very familiar. This is the climax of the psalm. Why is it the climax? Who's talking? Be still and know that I am God. God is speaking. And if it was in the New Testament and you had a certain version 
wherever God speaks or Jesus speaks, what color is the text? Red. If they did that in the Old Testament, this is the red letters of this psalm. God is speaking and he's saying, be still and know that I am God. This is the main thing he's trying to get across. And as he says this, he's, he's essentially saying, if you guys get this, if you are still and know that I am God, everything's going to change. It's going to change in your life. It's going to change in the lives of those around you, even those that don't know God. That's what we're going to talk about today. Everything is going to change when we think about the fact that we can be still and know that he is God. But what, what does this phrase mean? Be still. Be still. You hear be still. I'm going to break it down. Be still know that I'm God as we kind of begin. Be still and know that I'm God is a verse that, I don't know, when I was a kid, I saw it like crocheted on pillows in people's uh, living rooms or, or like on a nice mug with a precious moments thing. It was kind of a, be still and know that I am God. There's like a, it was always in the context of like nice and, and, and pretty. But the context here, look at verse 6. When God is saying this verse, what is actually happening? In verse 6, it describes when he utters his voice, and he's going to utter it in verse 10 to say that he is God. But in verse 6, he utters his voice, the earth melts. This isn't a, a sing-songy voice. When God's saying, be still, he's actually shouting, be still, cease, stop, to all of the fighting that's happening with the nations raging and roaring. And so the voice is actually one of, enough is enough. I'm going to speak now. I am God. You be still and know now that I am God. And he's going to explain who he is. So the context is one actually of kind of boldness and authority. And what's interesting is the exact same words are used in an Old Testament story that I think is really interesting, the parallel. 1 Samuel 15 Verse 16, 1 Samuel 15, verse 16, God had told Saul, I want you to take this, this uh, enemy, the Amalekites, and wipe them out. They've been evil and doing horrible things. You need to destroy them and everything with them. Keep nothing. So Saul goes and he's like, okay, I'm going to take over, but oh, I, I kind of like some of their animals, so I'm going to keep those aside and Ooh, the Amalekites have really nice hot tubs. Let's keep the hot tubs. We don't want to get rid of their hot tubs. And he's picking and choosing what he's going to actually get rid of. Samuel comes back to see the report. So, how, how'd you do? And Saul's like, oh yeah, totally. I did exactly what God said. And then I, wait, what was that? I, I, hear, I hear animals. What? You, you did exactly what God told you? Well, there was some... Um, a situation came up where I saw some really great animals that I think God is going to be able to use for our sacrifices. And he's hemming and hawing and kind of trying to talk his way out of it. And verse 16, Samuel then says to Saul, Be still! Be still! Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And then he pronounces kind of the judgment. Same word, same context. Where there's this in our psalm, there's fighting and, and, and anger back and forth, and God's rising up, and in this case, excuse, 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 and God is going to say something, enough is enough. That's kind of the context. Be still and know that I am God. What does it mean to know? Not, not just know mentally, but experientially, to feel something. We're going to feel something about our knowledge of God, okay? 
To, to know is to acknowledge, understand, recognize, and humbly submit. It all hinges on the knowledge of God. Hosea 6, God says, I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings, Hosea 6, 6. He wants to, for us to know him, to be still, to know that he is God, that I am God. And this is the question. What does that mean? What does it mean to know that I am God? You really, yeah, it's a familiar verse. I've heard that before. But if God's asking us to know that he is God, what is it about him that he wants us to know? What, what aspect of his godness is what we should know about him? And this is where it helps to remind ourselves this is a song. And when you sing and you want a point to get across, where do you put that point? In the chorus that you repeat over and over and over again. This song has a chorus. You, you notice when we read it, two of the verses were the exact same, right? Verse 7 and 11, exact same verse. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. But the chorus isn't just verse 7 and 11. It's actually verse 1 as well. If you appreciate Hebrew poetry, again, distant culture, but the way they would write poetically is they would say the exact same thing, slightly different words. So the God, or sorry, the Lord of hosts is with us is also like what line in verse number 1? There's two lines. God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. So if the Lord of hosts is with us, what line does that correspond to in verse 1? His with usness. The fact that he is with us means he is a very present help in trouble, right? It's, it's the exact same thing, same concept. And if the God of Jacob is our fortress, you could also say that God is our refuge and strength, right? So verse 1, 7, and 11 are all the same chorus. And this chorus is what they would sing and repeat over and over as they're marching together to Jerusalem to remind themselves of something about God. What is it that we should be still and know about him? Three things. God is personal. God is personal. These are all just taken from verses 1, 7, and 11, the chorus of our song today. Whose refuge and strength? Ours, our refuge and strength. Whose fortress? Billy's fortress? Susie's fortress? Our fortress, personal. He's not just a God out there, he's our God. Own him, he, he's ours. Like, God is our refuge and strength, our fortress. He's personal. He's also, number two, present. Look at verse one. He is a very present help in trouble. I own a uh, stove that broke a couple weeks ago. And so I had to get a replacement stove. And when I went to put the replacement stove in, the gas line wasn't the same size as the stove, the one that was previously there. And I had a problem. What do you do when you have problems? You go to the store, the hardware store. Big hardware store, huge hardware store. The lady at the front has the iPad. What are you looking for? Uh, I need an adapter for my whole, oh yes, this aisle. So I go over there and there was the full kit, like with the whole two. I don't need the, the whole kit, I just need the little adapter. Oh, well, that I think is in this aisle. So then I go over to that aisle. 
looking around, there's a wall of adapters and metal Jimma Jaggers or whatever those are called, and I'm looking at them all like, okay, can somebody help me? Is this the, there's different materials, and I'm not really sure what, so I look, and oh, you, you can help me, come here. Um, can, is there someone, can you answer a question for me? I'm sorry, this isn't my area. Let, I'll get somebody else. Goes and gets someone else, they come. Oh, actually, this isn't my area either, but I'll call the person whose area it is. So calls on the phone, puts it on speaker. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in this aisle. Can you help this guy? I can't help a guy right now. I'm busy. What are you talking about? Hey, shut up. You're on speaker. Don't, don't. Is, I'm not condoning the word shut up. That's what he said, okay? Kids, don't say that word. But, but he said it on the speakerphone, and I'm like, oh, that's embarrassing. So then he left, still without help, and then finally two guys come who are supposed to be the experts, and they said, yeah, you definitely need uh, one of these right here, like the whole wall. Like one, one of these, I know that. That's why I'm in this aisle. So I just bought everything that remotely looked close, filled my cart, went home, figured it out. I only needed one piece, though, right? So I was able to go and return it all. <clears throat> Such a frustrating experience. Very different than when I go to another place, a beloved place, a hardware store called Ace Hardware. When you walk into Ace Hardware, you're greeted by someone, Nathan, welcome. Come on in. What seems to be the problem? Well, I have this all, say no more. Come, let's talk over here. I know your time is precious, so come on over here. You see, it's going to be one of these options. Do you have like a picture? I do, on my phone. Perfect, let me see that. Oh, you're definitely going to want this adapter. Make sure to use this Teflon tape. It's a little thicker. It's going to seal better. Anything else I can get for you? Would you like some popcorn on the way out? Yes, I'd love some popcorn. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What's the difference between Big Box and Ace Hardware? One is a very present help. God is not the God of the big box hardware store who's trying to avoid you, who's looking for excuses to not help you. He's a God who is anticipating your arrival, eager to jump to help. A very different God that we serve than the God of the big box hardware stores. We serve a very present very present God. If in your Bible you notice there's a, a footnote by that word, uh, present, a very present help. Some translators have actually translated it well-proved, and you can see that in the footnote, a well-proved help, which is another way to say we serve a God who has an amazing track record, a well-proven track record of being a help when we need it most. And I get that also, again, it's a parallel to verse 7 and 11, he is the God of Jacob, which is a shorthand for saying God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the God who has been faithful with all these patriarchs, story after story, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the list goes on and on, well proven to help. Think of all the ways that he was faithful with Abraham when he didn't have a son, or Isaac, or Jacob, story after story. He never lets his people down. Well-proven track record, very present help in time of trouble. And so if God is personal and present, we also see in this that he's powerful. He's not just a near God that's impotent. He's a near God that's omnipotent, all-powerful, able to help whenever we need him. I get this, again, from verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. That word hosts 
the hosts of the armies. You may have heard the song, he's the God of angel armies. If he's the Lord of hosts, he commands like a, the highest military position. He commands all the armies of the, of the earth and all of the armies of the spiritual realms as well. He is over all of them as the Lord of hosts. But he's also more than just militarily, he's over the hosts of everything created. And, and we pick this up in Genesis and in the Psalms when it talks about, by the word of the Lord, the host of heavens were made, Psalm 33, 6. Or all hosts of creation were made by God, Genesis 2, 1. And he doesn't just make it, he sustains it. Paul picks up in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, and in him all things hold together. He is the Lord of hosts, commanding all power militarily, and commanding all power of everything created in the earth, and sustaining everything created. A very, very powerful God. Last night I was watching a movie on a date with my beautiful wife, and it was about dinosaurs, scary dinosaurs, the new Jurassic Park movie, and let me tell you, you do not want to be in an open field when there's dinosaurs. Where do you want to be? You want to be somewhere safe, because the dinosaurs have big mouths, and they want to bite you, and so you've got to get somewhere safe. So where do you go? To like a refuge, a a building, some place where you can run into and be safe, right? The name of the Lord is a strong tower who the righteous run into and are safe. And God is our fortress. He's our fortress. And so as we climb the steps, there's that metal that's kind of surrounding the steps. So when the dinosaur bites the metal, we're safe because we, we keep walking up even though we're kind of scared. And when they bite, we kind of climb through the cage that shuts. Get this? All right. He's powerful and a, a stronghold, a, a place that we are protected by the worst enemy coming at us, biting and trying to destroy us. We're safe inside. He's spitting out metal and the dinosaur's like, I want to get you, but I can't because you're in a, a fortress. That's our God. We're safe from the worst enemy, the worst enemy. And they sang this over and over again, verse 1, verse 7, verse 11. And as they're singing it, the facts about God being God, being personal and present and powerful are, are rehearsing in their minds. And so we could say that God is personal and present and powerful, or we could just say God's near and strong. I'm an English major and I like to cut things down, edit tight. God is near and strong. God is near and strong. That is what we should be still and know. We should know that God is near and strong. And when we do, Everything changes. Our situation now is different because we are aware of the fact that the God of the universe is near us and strong, ready to help. And so what are some of the ways that that changes everything? Well, it changes everything for us in three ways and for the world. So how does it change? We don't have to fear the worst, the first point. We don't have to fear the worst. If God is near and strong, we don't have to fear the worst. Verse 2 and 6 describe the worst for Israel. This is not going to be the worst for you, I don't think. But for Israel, what they were most fearful of was natural calamities 
and nations raging and warring against them. Natural calamities, which they, in their ancient Near Eastern understanding, they, they didn't have meteorologists giving them weather updates. Imagine, you have no clue how it happens, but there's a hurricane that comes. It's terrifying, right? And they're trying to wrestle with what's going on, and we don't know at any point if the world that we've seen might become unraveled. Terrifying. Keep them up at night. And so what did they fear? That they, they believed that the earth rested on the foundations of mountains that went deep into the cosmic ocean. And whenever it was unstable, it would produce natural threats like earthquakes and volcanoes, floods and droughts. They learned from the time they were young, as Israelites, the Genesis story of how God took waters and separated them and made dry land um, separate from the seas. Remember, they learned that story. But they listened to the, their neighbors' gods, who they worshipped, and they heard horrible things about what the, the other gods would do. And so there was always this lingering fear. What if God undid creation? What if he went in reverse to what he did when he created the world? That's terrifying. That would be the worst, for him to uncreate like he created at the beginning. And so you could tell that this is something that kept them up at night, that they needed to be reminded of in verse 2, we will not fear, though, even if the worst case scenario for them was the earth will give way. The mountains are going to now be moved into the heart of the sea with waters roaring and foaming, trembling at its swelling. We do not fear. Why? Psalm 24, 1 and 2, because the earth is the Lord's and he has founded it on the seas. He's aware and knows that fear, and in this psalm is reminding them, hey, I got you. I'm not going to let the worth, the, you're not going to get swallowed up by the earth. I've got you. But then they were also fearful of nations raging and, and fighting against them. And so in verse 6, the nations are raging, the kingdoms are tottering. And again, to that, what does God do? He rises up and says, Enough. He can silence them with a word. God is powerful. On your drive home, I don't think you're going to be super scared that your, the earth is going to swallow up your vehicle. And I don't think anyone in here is overly concerned that tomorrow another nation is going to come in. These might not be our concerns at the highest list, maybe some of you are concerned of some of these things, but what is it for you this morning? What do you fear the most? Take a moment and reflect. What, what do I fear the most? I might not even talk about it much. It's something I might be embarrassed about. It, it might be a simple phobia. It might be a legitimate, like terrifying fear that's keeping you up at night about your finances, about someone in your family who, who just has never come home or who is making horrible decisions. What, what is it that you fear the most? Will you let God's nearness and strength inspire fearless trust? For Israel, it was the seas and the nations, but what is it for you? Know that God is near and know that God is strong. Number two, it changes everything. We experience the gladness of life in his presence, verse four. 
we experience the gladness of life in his presence. Life in God's presence is what's being described in verse 4. And the way they do it is with this ancient Near Eastern understanding where wherever the gods dwelled with the mountains at the foundation of the earth, rivers would flow from those mountains uh, signaling or, or uh, pointing to blessing. And so the language here is, again, perhaps foreign to us, but something that we can still relate to. Verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And you might be saying, wait, they're in Jerusalem. Isn't this just, this isn't a metaphor, Nate. This is just a, it's like a river, right? No, because there's no rivers in Jerusalem. So, so this is clearly like a metaphoric river because there, there are no rivers in, in Jerusalem. What's being described is this river of blessing that they understood flowed from wherever God dwelled. And they knew God dwelled in Jerusalem with them. And so they, they describe that. And, and other psalms pick that up as well. In Psalm 36, verse 8, And you give them drink from the river of your delights. Look throughout the psalms. You'll see references to, to blessings flowing from rivers. And it points not to a place like Jerusalem or a river, but a person. It points to a person. God. He's near. And when he's near, blessings happen. Blessings happen. There's gladness. There's gladness of life in his presence. There is gladness of life in his presence is what's getting at being God at, at verse 4. And the third thing that it changes in us when we know that he's near and strong is that we feel his help through the nights that seem hopeless. Through the nights that seem hopeless. When do the enemies like to attack? At break of dawn. When we're most vulnerable. We're groggy and we're, ah, oh, I'm just, I haven't really slept much. And I'm, that's when enemies love to attack. And that is the moment, that is the very moment in verse 5, when God is in the midst of her and will not be moved. And God will help her when morning dawns. In that most vulnerable of times, when we are open to attack, those are the moments when God is ready to protect and that we can feel his help through those nights that might seem hopeless. God's nearness and strength is such a blessing to us in these three ways, but it's also a blessing to others, even those that wouldn't know God or care about God. Consider, consider the first one. We see peace begin to reign. We see peace begin to reign. My uh, I want to invite you to come to my house with me for a moment. It's bedtime at my house. There's six little ones scurrying around. And the nighttime routine is upon us. There are choice words being spoken. There are people still eating food that they should have eaten earlier. There's Nerf bullets whizzing through the air. People are ducking. Why can't you guys just go to bed? Why can't you just stop fighting? I've told you a million times, I need you to just, please, please. And Marie and I are looking at each other with desperation. Will it work? Will God come through for us? Or is it all going to be over? And we're holding out hope that the fumes are eventually going to leave the engine and they're going to collapse on their beds. We're just holding out hope. And time and time again, he does, supernaturally. An hour later, all of a sudden, there's peace. 
And we only have about 15 minutes of it before we have to go to bed. But, but for that brief moment, we, we taste peace again in our home. This is the picture. This is the picture that we're talking about here. God can silence fights in a moment by shutting eyelids in a, in a supernatural way. I can't make my kids go to bed. Again, I'm powerless. I do all the things necessary. I'm trying, but, but God's ultimately the one that's going to shut their eyelids. Even in their bed, they can be beating each other up and coloring on the wall. It's like, God, I'm helpless. Please show up and do what only you can, you can do. Please just shut them down. And that's essentially the, the same image the fighting and the warring, we can't control other people's sin and fights. And, and, but we trust a God who can, in Mark 4, come out of a sleeping position in the boat to storms raging and say, peace, be still. And the choppy waters become placid in a moment. God has that power. We serve a God who can do that. And because we do... How is that benefiting others around us? Do we savor the peace that God brings in the choppiest of waters of our life? Do we extend the peace that we savor and feel to anyone else in our life? Is there anyone that you know at work, at home, in the neighborhood who, who could really use some peace, some shalom, some supernatural stability when everything else isn't stable? Do you know anyone like that? Could you invite them into some of those realities somehow this week? We are tasting foretastes of an eternal peace that's coming. For unto us a child is born, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. We are ultimately, we serve a God who brought the gospel of peace when we believe and trust in him, we ha- we are, the peace is assured for us eternally, and yet we can taste moments of it even now that we could invite others into to experience. Is God inviting you to usher in his peace somewhere this week, at home, at work? How could you prayerfully invite that peace into their world this week? Last point, last point. I promise, we're almost done. God's nearness and strength. It changes everything in us and it changes everything for the world. They get to not only experience the same peace we get to experience, but we start to praise God and when the world sees, they join us. Look at verse 10. I will be exalted where? Among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The nations are watching the Israelites. The whole earth is watching these Christ followers And as they're watching them walk to Jerusalem singing, it has an effect on them. As we go through our days and we talk to people, the things we talk about, people are listening. As we go through our days and we sing sing tunes at work or we listen to music in the car, whether we're singing or speaking, the world is listening. And in our verse, nations and the earth are, are listening. And there's this... Amazing things that, thing that happens. I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I agree with that song. Do you mind if I join in? They start to join in. That's what this text is about. It's a missionary psalm. 
When we sing and pray, sing and speak of God's goodness and the world listens, they can be affected by that and turn to him. How often is there a melody of God's goodness on your lips? How often do you talk about God in your everyday experience? Not when you're going to eat meals and you're praying beforehand, like I'm talking to God there, but when are you talking to God in, in casual conversation? The pe- people of the world are listening and they want to join in, in their heart of hearts. God is saying, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. People will come to Christ through overhearing and experiencing your delight in God. In summary, I'm just going to read through them. Reflect, which one speaks to you? God's nearness and strength in this psalm changes everything in us and for the world. We don't fear the worst. And I'll invite the worship team to come as I read these. We don't fear the worst. We experience the gladness of life in his presence. We feel his help through the nights that seem hopeless. We see peace begin to reign. And we start to praise God. And when the world sees, they join us. We're going to have an opportunity to sing before we leave to praise God. And it's not just about our song to God, but others can hear and be encouraged by it as well as we learned this morning. So sing out loud and proud, whether you harmonize or not. Use this opportunity to sing praises to our God. And as we sing this song, there'll be communion available. We practice open communion here at Friendship. If you know and trust Jesus, we'd invite you to come during this song at one of the four tables in the corners. Take the bread and the cup. Return to your seat. And when we're done with this song, we'll take the elements together.